This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We've got a lot to get to today, you guys. Lavelle E. Neal III from the Star Tribune columnist will join me here in just a little bit for a bunch of different topics I wanted to hit with Lavelle. That's the beauty of having Lavelle on. He is multi-dimensional. We talked a little Twins, talked a little Vikings and Gophers, talked a little World Cup qualifying um, for the U.S. men's national team. So hope you enjoy that conversation with Lavelle that I will share with you in a few minutes. Got a little stuff from uh, Timberwolves, introduced a whole bunch of new players on Wednesday. Share with you a little Patrick Beverly thoughts, some audio from him as well. And uh, Marco Rossi, wild prospect, also uh, featured on the show here today. I've got some audio from him and his appearance at Prospect Camp on Wednesday as well. But first, what did I miss? It was an ugly night in Minnesota sports for the teams that were playing. Twins got routed. Not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. That season's almost over. It's been a disappointment almost from the start to the finish. Uh, I think the final score yesterday was 12-3, 13-3, something like that. doesn't really matter. That season going nowhere. But we have a new entry in most in the category of most disappointing Minnesota summer sports team. Now the Twins probably still the uh probably still the front runners in that category, but Minnesota United making a late charge um, as they make a charge down the standings had an opportunity on Wednesday at Sporting KC to uh, you know to kind of get their season into a better spot. Um, needed that game for playoff positioning, things like that. Instead, they go down to Kansas City. They lose 4-0. And with that loss, drop from 6th to 8th in the standings in Major League Soccer. And that's a big deal because seven teams make the playoffs in each conference. So they are now below the uh, the line to make the playoffs in the, in the West. Adrian Heath didn't mince words afterwards. In John Marthaler's story for the Star Tribune that the Loons... You know, being shut out, but also giving up four goals. Adrian Heath said it was a comedy of errors at the back. I don't think we could have made any more wrong choices than we did in the first half. And the first half was when they gave up three of those four goals. So, you know, Sporting KC, one of the best teams in the league, one of the best teams in the conference, certainly. Minnesota United wants to be there, aspires to be at that level and frankly had you know aspirations of being that good this season after getting all the way to the Western Conference Finals last season and getting really close to making it to the MLS Cup Championship. Well, hasn't worked out that way. They are the very definition of mediocre this year. Eight wins, eight losses, seven draws. I made a joke about Kirk Cousins related to that uh, last night and uh, on Twitter, and it's it's pretty apt. I mean, that's a you know, when you when you win, lose, and draw almost an identical number of games, I don't know how you can conclude anything else, but this is a very mediocre team. And I know they started slow. I know they've had a lot of injuries lately. Maybe that changes if they can get, you know, get some guys back healthy, get into the playoffs. That's really all that matters um, at the end of the year to give yourself a chance. But right now, looking very disappointing, um, you know, and just, you know, the, the coverage of that game looked, you know, minced no words it was it was just not a good effort for Minnesota United just a very disappointing year from from start to finish and I should note um, John's story we put the tagline at the end of every story 
Um, you know, especially for, for, for away matches, um, if we don't go, it says the Star Tribune did not travel for this event. That was a disclaimer we put at the bottom. Seems as though Minnesota United did not either. Speaking of hoping to win, but often not winning, the Timberwolves. Yeah, that's a low blow, but it's true. Um, they introduced a whole bunch of new players on Wednesday, guys. We kind of knew about over the course of the offseason, no surprises, but Patrick Beverly was introduced to the media. Torian Prince, who was acquired in a trade just like Beverly. Um, you know, Leandro Balmaro, uh, the, the draft pick from a couple years ago who was playing overseas, he's... He is here now and was introduced, and then Jared Vanderbilt and Jordan McLaughlin, who re-signed this offseason. And, you know, we'll see if there's any more moves to come. I've been on the Ben Simmons thing, even if Patrick Royce doesn't like it. Um, we'll see if there are more to come. But for now, that was the group that was introduced kind of as a, here's here are the new guys, or here are the, the kind of acquisitions. Here's what we did this offseason. And obviously, I think Beverly was the most interesting person interviewed on Wednesday you know he's he's the one that probably gives them the most chance to you know make a move this year I know he's not a great player but he's certainly a role player that uh, that could fit this team very well he's got 59 career playoff playoff games under his belt including a whole bunch last year with the Clippers when the Clippers went to the Western Conference Finals you know Beverly shot you know, has shot you know shot the ball pretty well in the playoffs over the years 36 percent from three in those 59 career playoff games. So, you know, he, he's a guy that can definitely help change the culture here. And, you know, he was asked on Wednesday kind of how you do that, how you go about when, you, when you've been in an organization that, that hasn't necessarily won a whole lot, or how, how do you establish that kind of, that kind of identity that you're going to become a winner? And here is what Patrick Beverly had to say to the assembled media on Wednesday. Accountability and uh, honesty. I think those are the first two. If we can be honest with each other, if we can talk to each other in a way where we both, <clears throat> players both understand and get the most out of each other without, you know, you know, a, 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 you know, just talking back or backlash and accountability. You know, if you're supposed to be the low man, you be the low man. That's your job. If he's a low man, the person's supposed to have his back, have his back. And I think that goes from top to bottom. And I think if you do that, uh, like I said, you do those two things. You, and it's not only the players. You know, people get it mixed up. You think, you know, when it comes to basketball, it's just about the players. It's the whole organization. So, you know, from top to bottom organization, if, if, if everyone's accountable, we put ourselves in a position to be successful. And we'll see what he brings to the table. I mean, he could be one of those intangible guys that his defense makes two or three people better on defense. His kind of presence makes everybody a little bit more, like he said, accountable. Um, you know, sometimes when there's an offseason move, it's less about the individual skill that somebody brings and more about an attitude that they bring. I think there's good examples of that in Minnesota sports over the years. Even when the Twins re-signed Torrey Hunter several years ago, I feel like that was kind of a jolt for them, kind of brought, uh, brought a certain edge back to them. Um, they could maybe use, uh, use, use more players like that right now. But Patrick Beverly could be Kind of that uh, kind of that player for the Wolves has that ability to 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 affect winning, um, but we'll see if that's enough. It, it, they didn't do a ton this offseason from my perspective, so we're still kind of waiting and seeing to see kind of how much that really does impact their season in 2021. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, 
and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to have back on Daily Delivery today, Lavelle E. Neal III, columnist for the Star Tribune. There's a lot I want to talk to you about uh, today, Lavelle, so I hope you're ready. I hope to. I hope I'm ready, too. See what you got. <laughs> Let's start to... I know you're gonna you're gonna be on the uh, on the road this weekend, um, a double a double dose of football, right? Yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. Um, headed off Friday evening. I'll be in Boulder for Saturday's game between Colorado and the Gophers. It's gonna be an interesting game for both teams. The Gophers are coming off an unimpressive win against Miami of Ohio. Uh, Colorado, meanwhile, you know, held uh, held Texas A and M to ten seven. Uh, probably make Jimbo Fisher sweat a little bit over there. Uh, but the opening line only has Colorado, uh, I think, up by two, two and a half points. So they're expecting this to be kind of a tester for for each team. So I'm looking forward to that. And then uh, after that game, it's off to Arizona, where uh, the Vikings are going to try to avoid a 0-2 start against Kyler Murray. <laughs> and, um, and that Arizona Cardinals squad that uh, I watched the replay of their game uh, yesterday. And uh, – even more impressive than Kyler Murray making plays is that that defense really got after Brian Tannehill and the Titans offense. Uh, Tannehill didn't have time to throw. Chandler Jones had five sacks. Um, Derrick Henry had no room to run. Uh, it, it was it was a beat down by that defensive unit. And uh, if they duplicate that against the Vikings, the Vikings are going to have the work cut out for them. So, uh, a couple of the really uh, juicy games for the local squads this weekend. I'll have the pleasure of attending. Let's start with the Vikings and the NFC North. I, I, I want to let's start with the Vikings. Then I have, I'm going to have a division question for you. But, you know, from what you saw against the Bengals, you know, and it was a, a, some good things happened. I mean, I wrote about that Wednesday. It wasn't like it was all bad, but. Um, some definite concerns, I guess. And then now you talked about just now that Arizona defense where they got, you know, five, like you said, Chandler Jones had five sacks. Vikings offensive line looks like a problem again. What, you know, as you think about that game and, and heading to it on Sunday, what's your, what's your level of concern for how the Vikings can kind of match what Arizona wants to do, considering what you saw from both teams in week one. Yeah, it's at DEFCON two for me uh, because uh, Chandler Jones lining up the opposite of uh, Rashad Hill looks like a big mismatch right now. And uh, the rest of that defensive line, too, is going to give them problems. Uh, but, you know, O-line, if it could clean up his act, especially cut down on uh, holding penalties and some of the other false starts and things, that, that definitely would help. But uh, just in terms of matching up, it looks like the Cardinals have an advantage. It's going to be very interesting to see how the Vikings approach this game offensively uh, because, you know, there's a lot of hype about K.J. Osborne emerging as a competent number three receiver, but the Vikings may have to go to a two tight end formation a chunk of time just to protect Cousins and kind of help out those tackles. Um, more, you know, Rashad Hill more so than Ryan O'Neal. And that would, that would take Osborne off the field. So how do you balance that? How do you mix it up? You know, when do you know we take a shot uh, with three receivers or more or get downfield? It's going to be, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, Dalvin Cook's going to have to have a heck of a game, uh, I would say, uh, on Sunday just to kind of loosen things up and give the Vikings a chance. Um, 
because uh, boy, like I said, I it was just within the last twelve hours I watched the replay of that Cardinals game and that defense was just they looked like the eighty five Bears at some at some points just Ooh. how they're Ooh. in the backfield so often against Danny Hill and the and the Titans man so uh, pack a lunch Vikings offensive line <laughs> well that's the that's the problem too like you know for the the pressure that was on Cousins Sunday Dalvin Cook didn't have much room to run I think he had like 60 yards on 20 carries he didn't get much on first down when it was kind of the expected rundowns um so you know it's not just a matter of protecting Cousins from the you know the five sacks that Chandler Jones got it's can they get Dalvin Cook going when you know Derrick Henry just got bottled up and Dalvin Cook didn't have much room to run it looks like a just on paper that does not look like a favorable matchup I know well you know they'll have a better chance to get Dalvin involved if it's not first and 15 or first and 20 after a penalty, you know, uh, give it something manageable that they can, they can operate with and, and get cousins in a in position where he can make, like maybe a short pass to Conklin or Thielen to get second and short and just have a functional offense out of that. I just, I just think the Vikings couldn't get in a rhythm because the offense, all the old lines problems. And when we say problems, all five linemen committed a penalty in that game, which I never heard of before. Um, you know when you when when you're when you're misfiring and shooting your own self in the foot, it's going to be hard to get some continuity going, and that and that's going to be huge at Arizona this week. I'm, I'm I'm curious to see how many Viking fans are going to be in the stands. Usually, that's a place where visiting teams fans like to travel to. Uh, kickoff temperature is supposed to be 107 degrees. Uh, yeah, I know. That's why it's supposed to be like 88 in Boulder on Saturday, and uh, the rumor is there's a boatload of Gopher fans. Uh, going to Boulder for the game. So I wonder if there's a double, anybody's doing the double dip to win both games like I am. We'll see. I bet, the, I bet there is. That's a, it's a doable, doable trip with the, you know, the kickoff times and the, you know, the travel route and, and things like that. So, okay, here's where I want to shift now to kind of the, the bigger picture of the division Vikings, Bears, Packers, well, the Lions too, but mostly the Vikings, Bears, Packers, uh, Bears, obviously near and dear to your heart as a long suffering. Bears fan, Packers, you know, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about them in, in the context of the Vikings and, of course, the Bears. All three of them lost in different ways on Sunday. Who, who should be the most concerned after week one out of those three teams? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, may put, I may put the Vikings one. Um, the Vikings are part of that group, right? You didn't say you didn't put the Lions in there, did you? No, I, I said Lions, but I don't really care about the Lions. They're, they're not going to be good this year. <laughs> exactly. I, I think the Vikings need to be the most concerned just because some of the problems everybody was worried about flared up in one game. And uh, if they start out 0-2, uh, then they've got uh, Russell Wilson the week after that. You know, so um, this is kind of a big game for them. Uh, I kind of – I hate agreeing with Aaron Rodgers – um, but when he is uh, pulled up, when he's played the relax card, R-E-L-A-X, relax, it's worked out for them. Um, it was pretty awful uh, for them in week one. Rodgers is awful. His worst regular season game ever. Um, it, it, uh, the timing was off. There was pressure on Rodgers. Uh, it just didn't look fluid. And they've got some stuff to work on. Um, but if there's a team that can make adjustments and improve, you would think it would be uh, number 12. And his crew there. He's a, a talented wide receiver, one of the best in the game, a good running back. Um, David Bakhtiari being out, you know, means a lot to them. You know, Elgin Jenkins is a capable villain, but he's no Bakhtiari. And I think you saw that at times um, uh, against the Saints. So um, I put them two, and I put the Bears three because 
uh, expectations. I mean, my expectations of the Bears is to be around a 500 team. That means eight, nine, nine, and eight, or whatever. Uh, I really don't have a lot of hopes for them just because they got so many holes in that roster. But the the one thing that we saw from Chicago in week one was that um, that defense that once was a fire-breathing defense that had, that had saber-tooth killers on it uh, looks like it may be falling off a little bit. Um, Mikilo Mack was nowhere to be found. Robert Quinn was a non-factor. Eddie Jackson can't tackle. Um, it was, uh, they've had secondary breakdowns like I've never seen before. Um, it looks like the defense has fallen off, and if that is true, then the Bears have no shot at even finishing around 500 that they're looking at more like five wins. So um, I would say uh, Vikings one, Packers two, Bears three, and who gives a you-know-what about the Lions at this stage <laughs> in their rebuilding? Although I will commend them for coming back against yeah. uh, against San Francisco because I kind of given up on that game. I was just kind of checking in because, you know, um, Debo Samuel's on my fantasy team, so I just kept checking back to see how many points he was scoring for me. Uh, and then the next thing you know, 41-33, how that happened? You know, it was like uh, the, the Lions were down like like 30 points, I thought. Not that the game was in the back. So uh, credit to them for at least fighting back. But still, I can't name more than two players on that team. The kneecap biters. They bite your kneecaps, though. They'll get you. Yep. Um, you see, the, the first leg of this road trip, let's talk about the Gophers for a minute here. What do you want to see out of this game? Because I feel like it's been, you know, the Ohio State game was one thing. That's a, it's a team that's you know, going to be in the, the Big Ten championship conversation. They're always one of the top programs in the country. But to give, you know, to, to let Miami, Ohio back in that game the other day was a disappointment to me. You go from 21-3 at halftime to 21-20 in a real battle. You still get the win. You make the plays. But... Is it consistency? Is it the defensive line? What do you want to see the most out of the Gophers when you travel there on Saturday? Um, especially on the road, I want to see consistent offense. I want to see them be able to move the ball by, at, with great balance, too, with the pass as well as the run. It looks like Potts is going to be a capable fill-in. He's not going to be Muhammad Ibrahim, but uh, it looks like he could be functioning at, in a running game. And uh, you saw P.J. Fleck start giving them ball and say, hey, kid, here you go, 34 times, you know, carry the water. So he's going to give Potts an opportunity to have a, to have a big workload on Saturday. And Tanner Morgan, Morgan has to keep that uh, aerial game uh, consistent as well. I think the third quarter, he they kind of – it kind of was a sputtering offense there in the third quarter, and things kind of changed for them. You can't do that on the road, especially against Colorado, um, who's probably, you know, taking moral victories off their 10-7 loss to Texas A&M the week before. They're going to be pretty confident in this game. So – I got to see consistent balance out of the offense. And then number two is that uh, the defensive line is that to have a sack this year. I know PJ was on radio saying that, well, you can't blitz Ohio state or they're going to pick you apart And two, uh, the quarterback from Miami of Ohio was getting the ball out really quick. We couldn't get to him. Okay. That's understandable. I can see that. But at the same time, um, are you at least getting pressure on the quarterback? Are you making him sweat? Are you trying to, are you moving him off your office spot? Um, you know, again, I see some pressure on a Colorado quarterback. That they're still developing. The kid threw for under 100 yards against uh, against A&M last Saturday. So it's not like he's going to be he's going to be ready to light them up. So you want to stop the run, get them in the second and long or third and long, and make make this kid try to put the ball in here, and so you can get that defensive line after him. So those are two things I want to see uh, out of the Gopher game on Saturday. Have you seen a bigger turnaround from? 
a guy getting hit by a line drive in a game and acting like he broke his hand or something really bad happened. And then after the game saying, I'm fine and nothing, the story checks out. That was Joe Ryan on Tuesday. It was just an interesting little roller coaster. And I was thinking when he got hit, I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's a break. Like this is the team that just can't have any nice thing this year. I know I was actually over at uh, Gophers Media Access yesterday for a while. Now, my goal was to get to Target Field in time to watch Ryan pitch. And, of course, Gopher Access ran much longer than anyone thought. And uh, the last player was the seventh-year uh, player from uh, Bolingbrook, Illinois, who played at Notre Dame. So I wanted to talk to him about defensive line play. So I had to wait for that to get over. And I, by the time I hustle over to Target Field, Ryan's already cruising. He's like in the fifth inning or whatever. I walk into the press box, say hello to a couple of people, put my bag down and sit down just in time to see him get hit with the line track. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm racing to get over here to watch, watch the opening day starter for a 2022, you know, uh, perform. And now he's knocked out of the game. I'm like, good grief. Could this be any worse? Um, it looked bad because he didn't even try to pick up the ball to throw it the first. So I thought his arm, his hand was really bothering him. And then he slammed his glove on the railing as he walked off the field. So I'm sitting here, not good, no bueno, you know. And so um, it was a little bit of a mild surprise when all of a sudden after the game, he's like, I'm fine. No problem. I, I didn't handle it well. I apologize, but I think I'm going to be fine. So we'll see in the next couple of days how fine Ryan is going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if the Twins push him back a couple of days or just skip him in the next time in the rotation. Because um, right now they have no starters for next year's rotation. And so they need to protect the ones they think they may be there. Right now, I can count two: Ryan and um, Bailey Ober, two guys I wouldn't mind seeing in the rotation next year, uh, preferably as third or fourth or fourth and fifth starters. That means the Twins would have had a hell of an offseason adding, you know, quality starting pitching. Um, but still, I like the two young kids, and I like what they bring. Um, Ryan's got the fastball that's got a little tail on it. Looks like he's trying to work with some other pitches, but I, I want him to keep throwing you know, 65% to 70% fastballs because it seems to be, it seems to work for him. And um, I'm just, I just like what I see from the guy. And I think he could be a factor in rotation next year. Yeah. He needs to like have just enough pitch mix, right? Just enough mm -hmm. to keep guys off the fastballs. I think in that first start he made, and I've talked about this on the show, like he got a little bit too fastball dependent and that's where they got him in that inning. And ever since then, he's been much better mix wise. And so hopefully he's, healthy because he's about the only reason I want to watch the team right now. Maybe it's, you know, Polanco yeah. is, is fun right now and Buxton being back is nice. But as far as pitching goes, that's about it uh, for, for this year right now. Yeah, and I want to see him throw some changeups. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how how, how quality of a changeup he throws. Um, um, does he have to kind of switch to a split finger fastball for a changeup or uh, can you get a feel for, uh, for uh, a pitch that he needs to throw about 8 to 12 miles an hour slower than his fastball? So, um, that's going to be a big key because every pitcher needs it. Every starter needs to get hitters off the fastball once in a while. And, um, and Ryan's going to have to figure that out as he uh, forges a, a major league career. Last thing for you, Lavelle Enil the third. I was struck by this. It was probably last week or so. Um, what's worse twins, Twitter, Vikings, Twitter, bears, Twitter, or U S men's national team. Twitter when things are going poorly and then suddenly they're not. Well, here's the thing. Um, U.S. men's national Twitter had never been like this before. We didn't qualify for the last uh, World Cup. 
And then you know, all of a sudden we hear that we have this golden generation of players, you know, between 18 and 23 years old that are going to gel into this fantastic unit. So it's expectations have risen quickly. Um, the response to them tying their first two games of those three qualifying games was unbelievable. It was, uh, it was anger and frustration that I've never seen from the soccer fan base at, at one time here. Um, so, uh, at one, so at one point it was surprising. Um, and another, at the same time, it was kind of encouraging because it looks like we have more people who give a crap about this program than ever before. And I don't think United States fans don't like the don't like the possibility of not qualifying for the World Cup. But these young kids, they found out just how hard it is to navigate the CONCACAF waters. You would think that they could walk into uh, El Salvador and come out with a victory, but it ended up being more difficult than they thought. And that's the one game I was disappointed in. The Canada's a better team as well. Alfonso Davies is like one of the best left backs in the world. Uh, Dave, Jonathan Davis, a quality player. Buchanan's not a bad player either. They've got players, and they're they're better. So them tying one one doesn't surprise me. What has what frustrated me? Um, not trying to get nitpicky, but like John Brooks, who's supposed to be like our stalwart uh, center back, who's able to play the ball out of the back, the type of game that Greg Borhalton wants to play, was terrible in this in, in this run of games. He was out of position. He let guys run across his face and score. That's not the John Brooks I know. And, um, you know, he was he was responsible for the goal against El Salvador. No, the goal against Canada and the goal against um, Honduras. And that's not the John Brooks I know. But props to the United States for coming back and getting a 4-1 win uh, in Honduras. And now they can move on from there. Also, but Weston McKinney, of course, had to add a little drama to the – by the way, this isn't the first time a USA player – has broken curfew or, or has left the hotel without permission right. to go out and party, you know, but he did it back to back nights and yeah. then brings a visitor back on the second time. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's going to, uh, that's going to raise eyebrows and red flags, Mr. McKinney. So go back to Juvenis. You're fighting for a spot under a new coach, put your head down and grind and we'll see you the next cycle. A lot of people deleting tweets from when it was one, nothing, Honduras at halftime uh, from the time it got to there to four to one. A lot of people angry, then suddenly uh, didn't have as many complaints after that. And then the next uh, people still want people still want Burl Halter fired. They hate his system. They don't think yeah. he's attacking enough and it's too rigid. And even after coming back and scoring four goals against Honduras, there were complaints about Burl Halter. Well, we'll see the next round of qualifying is a few weeks away, right? Sometime in October. That's right. That's right. Hopefully uh, Christian Pulisic could be healthy after twisting his ankle against uh against Honduras and we get a couple of the people who are banged up and uh, like Eunice Musa, um, Timothy way, maybe, and see, uh, and see if they can uh, get a couple of good results. We'll see. We'll see if about a couple of good results this weekend too, when you are traveling to Boulder and Arizona to see the Gophers and the Vikings follow Lavelle Eniel's coverage, Star Tribune, startribune.com. Lavelle will do this again soon. All right. Mate. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. Good stuff from Lavelle, as always. Love catching up with him. Follow his work. Like I said, he'll be out in Colorado for the Gophers uh, Gophers game against Colorado and then down to Phoenix to watch the uh, Vikings and Cardinals on Sunday. And we talked a whole lot about that Vikings-Cardinals game, by the way, on the Access Vikings podcast Wednesday. You should check that out as well. We do not love that matchup for the Vikings, but hey, 
That is why they play the games. Let's finish today with the cooler. Marco Rossi, Minnesota Wild prospect, a guy they will be counting on this season. You know, we've talked about the salary cap implications of, you know, the buyouts of Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter and maybe not hurting as much this year because they get a bunch of cap relief. But seeing what they have in Marco Rossi this season, seeing what they have in Matt Boldy this season for the Wild will kind of tell you what the framework is for the future in addition to, of course, Getting Kirill Kaprizov re-signed, that still has not happened yet. We're still watching that. But Marco Rossi was available to the media on Wednesday, kind of shared, again, details of the scary year he had. I mean, he developed COVID last year, thought he had recovered from it, but then developed myocarditis, the inflammation of the heart muscle. And basically, it became a journey where he couldn't do much of anything at all. You know, he had to, his heart rate would shoot up even by going for a walk. Um, and, and now it sounds like he is back. He is you know, back to 100%, back to full strength and participating with the Wilds. So that is great news, but you know, still shaken up from all that. And here was Marco Rossi Wednesday telling the media about that journey. Of course it was scary because like, when you hear like, the doctors are saying, we don't know if you're ever going to reach like, your goal or that you're ever going to be like, the same like you were before, then of course you were thinking like a lot, okay, now... Am I really gonna be better than before, or how's it gonna be after? Can I, um, like, go intense really hard again? Like, those are rather like so many questions I had. But now I'm, like, I'm feel so good that I know I'm better than before, and especially like that, that gives me so much more confident. And yeah, through that, like, through the whole hard things what I went through, um, you have like a completely different um, view from that now. I just got more mature. So great to see him back. You know, just you never uh, goes without saying you never want to see anybody go through anything like that. But I imagine it's particularly scary for an elite level athlete who's used to being able, a young one at that, who's used to being able to kind of do everything physical to go through an experience like that. So so happy to see him back on the ice, and I will be extremely interested to see what he brings to the team this season. That will do it for today. Mark Craig should be on Friday's show talking NFL picks. Plenty of other fun stuff as well. Might play a little bit more of that Timberwolves audio because we heard from, like I said, Leandro Balmaro, a guy who's a little bit of a mystery here. Listen for that on Friday. Thanks for joining me today, and we'll catch you again down the road.